People's Church podcast. This is part one of our series, Dreams, with a message entitled, Refresh the Joy of Your Salvation, with Pastor Nelson Jones. On one trip back from uh, Central Africa, I had to take, uh, they, they took a different flight path than they normally would, because it was a conflict zone in the northern part of Africa in, in the normal uh, flight path. So they, they went more east. And in going more east, they uh, went over closer to where the Nile cuts through the Sahara. And you could see from the plane this amazing kind of contrast. I mean, if you've flown over that area of the world, you know how desolate the Sahara is. And literally just miles and miles and miles of sand. And as you looked at the Nile cutting through, here's this, not just water going through, but wherever the water ran, there was this green, you know, kind of corridor cutting all through the most driest of places. And it reminded me of a scripture from Psalms 1, where it says that, that people that really take the Lord seriously, and Christians too, because you see, we can not take the Lord seriously either. But when we really plant our roots, those roots go down into a stream, into a river that just doesn't dry up. It just doesn't dry up. Sad part is, is that often we don't create that green corridor in the midst of the desolateness sometimes of life. And in fact, we do the opposite. And we torch our own roots and we end up in a very dry state. I wanna talk today and over the next weeks about just the subject streams. In the Bible, streams is a big word actually. It talks a lot about streams. Whether it's Psalm 23 or a lot of the scriptures that we'll go over today, Old and New Testament, this idea of water is so incredibly important. See, water, water has, without water, there's no life. Wherever there's water, you got life. And life is something that's pretty spectacular. Water is the key. I want to go to the last scripture and just throw that one up. Just to introduce the story, we'll end up here. Uh, King David went through a very desolate time in his life. Very desolate. This is the psalmist. This is Mr. Poet. This This is the one that had this great passion for God. He was not... He was not somebody who kind of kept things in neutral in his faith. He was a highly passionate man about his faith. And, and he got caught up, though, in a time in his life for reasons we're going to look at today. He got caught up in a time in his life in something that he should not have been involved in. And he committed some things that, in better days, he would not have done. The fact is that dryness had begun to bite his soul and he didn't recognize the warning signs. But in this final scripture, this is out of Psalm 51, which is David's psalm that he wrote, which is a song of repentance, a repentance psalm for this this condition that his life had fallen into. And he says this, restore to me again the joy of your salvation. This is really an incredible statement. I'm going to use the word refresh. Oftentimes, our joy needs to be refreshed because it grows stale. 
It is something where the desolateness is crowding in and the river is not flowing and you've got too much stagnancy and your water is only producing and getting worse and worse all of the time and producing all the wrong kinds of things. There's a story where the, the Israelites had just left Egypt. Uh, the plagues have happened, the deliverance is underway, and uh, they've just entered into the desert region, and they are thirsty. And they go to a place called Merah. And Merah was a place where it was water, but it was bitter water. Merah literally means that, bitter. And so it wasn't drinkable. Thirsty, water, couldn't drink it. So what they did was Moses cut down a certain tree and that's what God said to do and he threw it into the water and God made the water sweet. It's another important story because a lot of times when these bitter ponds really appear in our life in bitter periods and seasons, we often think that we're just stuck and we, we don't consider that our life has ebbed away and the water can't produce anything good anymore and it needs to be refreshed. Refreshed. And one simple act, which represented the cross that would thrown into that water, a return to the cross, a return to the work of Christ, a ceasing from certain works that you have fallen into. I want to explain some of that today. I think sometimes as Christians, we don't understand the difference between fellowship and relationship. Relationship with Christ, when you become a Christian, you surrender your life, you repent of your sins, and you receive Christ as Lord of your life. That is the relationship. It's rock solid, it never changes. but there's many times that it might need refreshment. There's many times that fellowship is not the same. It's not what it was. It's not what it should be. Instead, fellowship is lost. Deep communion and peace with God. Joy that emerges out of a life, not that is being run perfectly, but is moving forward and deeper in your understanding and faith and enjoyment of your Lord. The difference between fellowship and relationship can be seen within the parenting world. The relationship that you have with your children, I trust, is there. It's permanent. Well, it is permanent. It's biological first. And so you got this connection that can never be, be broke. They, they were born your children. But there will be times that the fellowship between you and your children will be stressed. There will be times when it will not be there. But the relationship is there. And Christian, you can be in great relationship that won't change, it's true. But the fellowship is not what it is or needs to be. And you know that, and it's a dry up in your life. When it comes to these kinds of understandings in our life, we can understand that when, when we allow certain conditions in our life, fellowship is going to be absolutely affected. Can I be out of fellowship with my wife and still be married to her? Yeah, I've proven that over and over again. Same thing with your child. 
Fellowship is damaged, but the relationship will always be there. When it comes to the Christian walk, we have to understand the need for constant refreshing. That your life and fellowship with Christ needs to be constantly moving forward. If you're not growing and going forward, there is no neutral in this journey. There's not a neutral button where you can sit and hit and pause and wait it all out and then it'll kick in sometime in the future. Not gonna happen. Here's another great scripture back to the beginning. It says in Lamentations 5.21, Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. I've been there. I believe you've all been there as believers in Christ. Relationship I've never questioned because it's not based on me. Fellowship, closeness, communion, so what causes believers to fall away from that sweet zone of fellowship? Well, we're gonna take, uh, just interject ourselves into Peter's story a little bit, and we're really close to the time of year that we've celebrated, uh, the, obviously, the uh, crucifixion and resurrection, and this took place at the Last Supper and the story right through of his denials. We're not gonna read the whole thing, but I want to, out of this story, because you're probably quite familiar with it, bring out four things that are going to take away that deep, close fellowship. The first is overconfidence. Verse 29, it says, everyone else may stumble in their faith, but I will not. The Lord at the Last Supper has made it known that one of you is going to betray me. Of course, we know that was Judas. And Peter said, even if all of these little peons do, I won't. It's quite a statement. Overconfidence. He really wasn't in touch with himself, his weakness, even, even, even his strengths. He wasn't in touch. Everyone else may stumble in their faith, but I will not. Never be in the position where you will say things like this and where you see somebody who, who fell in, in some way in their life and in their choices, like a King David, and, and never be in the place of judgment and say, well, I would never do that. Yes, you could. Yes, you could. The Bible says that the heart is, is deceptive about all, above all things. More or less, you lie to yourself more than you lie to others. That's how we are. are. We, we, can, we can deceive ourselves more than we deceive anybody else. Overconfidence does not allow the kind of heart check that's necessary so that fellowship and the passion of our faith is, is moving forward. Peter didn't know it, but he was in a neutral, trying to be in a neutral, but a reverse position at this point. He was going backwards because he was saying he would not do something that he had every potential to do in which, by the way, Jesus responded and said, Peter, before the cock crows twice tomorrow morning, you're gonna deny me three times. 
pretty amazing statement. Hard to hear. Peter found it obviously hard to hear. No, I won't do it. I'll never do it. When you find yourself speaking in those terms, you've lost some kind of connection with the cross. The humility that that cross brings, that you are connected in your weakness to the cross and even your very strengths are not strong enough. You have lost a connection with grace. Your need of it. We, know, we, have, we have forgotten the embrace that grace has had upon us. Everyone else may stumble in their faith, but I will not. Overconfidence will get you into a very dry place very, very quickly. Because God will see that the challenges of the deserts of your life will be greater than the water supply that you have in yourself. And the waters that you have will become bitter. And your life and your passion will shrink. A second condition is laziness we find in his story. Verse 37. They're in the garden now and they're praying. This is where Jesus prays the prayer, Father, you know, if there's a way that this cup can pass from me, you know, but if not, not my will, but your will be done. He's asked the disciples to just pray with him. You know, give me an hour, guys. Just give me an hour of prayer because this is, this is a really heavy moment. Couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? There are times we get tired in the faith journey. There are times you get tired being the one that maybe is trying to be the anchor for faith in your family. Or maybe you get tired of just the disciplines that are needed to keep it in a fresh position. But no matter what, it boils down to a laziness. And so they fell asleep on him. And that was his response. Guys, just one hour. Couldn't you have just stayed awake with me just for one hour? Another condition is found in verse 54 in the first part of it. It said, Peter followed him at a distance after he'd been arrested. He was taken by the soldiers. And as he's being led away, Peter, it says, followed him at a distance. Fear of disapproval. You know when you bow your head in a restaurant to give thanks for your meal? You have a Bible sitting on your desk at work. You make it known that this Sunday, no, I can't do that because I'm in church. Not just that I'm not available. No, that's my day. I go to church. These types of things that are so hinged to the practice of your faith, they have a public nature to them. And that's where you will notice the little pangs at times of disapproval. Fear of disapproval. Following at a distance. These are conditions that steal joy. The joy of your salvation. 
The fourth one is found in the same verse, but the back half. Then he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. Convenience. Jesus is about to be executed and Peter's having a little party with the guys that are going to be a part of that at the fire. It's cold. It's night. They're all gathered around a fire and Peter's sitting there amongst them. Convenience. What is safe? What is good? As safe and a good faith, I will say to you, uh, don't run together. A good faith is a faith that's always willing to risk. I, I said at the seminar yesterday, for those that were a part of that, you'll remember when I said this, you don't fail enough. Failure is a part of forward movement. Failure is part of faith. Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water and then he sinks. And you could say that was a failure, but I would say that was a win. An interesting time. Convenience takes you out of the situation into a place that works for you. Sometimes faith will work for you. Sometimes your faith will be cheered in the marketplace. There are times when it will be cheered in your family. But sometimes it's going to be very inconvenient to the situation. These are the conditions that produce within Peter this amazing weakness so that when Christ's eyes locked with Peter's that moment, after the cock crowed for the second time, and he had uttered the third denial, and their eyes met and locked, that was at that moment that Peter broke. I mean broke. I mean busted up broke. I mean sobbing broke. I mean just completely shattered broke. But it was also a point at which Peter could now start to take some living water into the desert of his life which he had protected from Christ. So what was God's response to this? Very simple, grace. Grace. Peter got grace. I mean, he got all kinds of grace. I mean, there was a moment at, after the resurrection, and we watched a video a bit last week that had this, this scene in it, but where it is quoted this way, where uh, Jesus has risen, and uh, all of a sudden, Mary uh, Magdalene is there, and she is the witness, and he says, you go back and tell Peter and the disciples that I've risen. Named only one guy. The last disciple in that regards at that trial that he locked eyes with, that he denied him three times. He offered grace. He brought grace. You see, this is what God will always do. This is the magic of what you have as a Christian in relationship. But do you have this in this refreshing and what we would say is this beautiful communion with God? 
He didn't reject Peter. He didn't toss him out. Man, I felt that. I felt, God, how in the world can the embrace of grace still hold on to me in the middle of my actions, my decisions, my failures? Lord, how can grace be greater? How can it be deeper? How can it be higher? How can it be stronger? But every time I have to come back to the things I want to introduce to you is that it's really always been about him. Grace is not a shared uh, uh, resource with him in the sense that we somehow resource grace. He brings the full resource of grace and you either engage and welcome that embrace or you struggle against that with your pride and your fears. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And you say, yeah, but. No, there is no but here. There's not a time in your life where you are gonna enter into, if you have Christ in your life, there is no time in your life you're gonna enter into condemnation with him. He will always offer you grace. You are still embraced by grace. You are still in the hug of grace. You cannot escape that hug. If you're wise, you'll let that knowledge go right down to your heart and you will find that fresh humility of, boy, this is absolutely, truly amazing grace. So why doesn't God reject believers when we sin? Why doesn't he put us back into condemnation? Well, you gotta understand the original salvation, what this is. And the first is his love is unconditional. It's without condition. Lamentations 3.22 says this. God's compassion never ends. It is only, it is only his mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. God doesn't stop being compassionate about you no matter the choices or the history of what happened this week or a year ago or 10 years ago. It doesn't, God is not lacking compassion. God does not lack grace for where you have been or what you have done. His love is absolutely without condition. This is a world we don't quite get. But here, let's refer back to King David. Here's a guy that really, great example of somebody with great faith and passion for God who just goes wayward, who just really goes outside the boundaries. I mean, he's coloring so far outside the lines. But on one turn, he finds that God's grace, instead of casting him out, has brought him into challenge, has brought him into healing, has brought him into wholeness again. How can that be when you know the list? We can't argue with the unconditional love of God. We want to. One of the hardest things to get over is this idea of legalism where 
what I do matters to God's approval to me instead of what Jesus did on the cross. And then we wait it so far that we buy into the spirals of condemnation which continue to cycle us down and steal from us the river of life and steal from us the green corridor and steal from us the beautiful roots into that river that bring the fruitfulness even in the driest of seasons. So why doesn't God reject believers when we sin? His love is unconditional. Secondly, salvation isn't based on my performance. This is a hard one. Titus 3.5 says, he saved us not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. Now as Christians, you hear it but we resist the embrace of it. Somehow, we write ourselves into this salvation story, not as just the receiver of this amazingly uh, uh, gracious gift, but we write ourselves in as somehow we maintain its strength and maintain its capabilities and maintain uh, its presence in our life. No, you do not. It's not based on your performance. Why do we want it based on our performance? Well, there, there's, there's several layers to that. Sometimes it's just emotional damage and our emotions haven't caught up to the true theology and the beauty of our, of our faith in Christ. Sometimes our emotional world has been so performance-oriented since we were knee-high to a grasshopper that if we didn't get it right or perfect, you know, then frankly, you know, you do not have approval. But you are taking the rules and the practices of human beings that are so flawed and, and then applying them to our Father who is perfect in his love. And you create where it's not him condemning you, but you create your own self-condemnation. Which causes you to be weak and dry. Where you do not have that freshness of joy. <laughs> David my gosh, this guy's confronted publicly by Nathan the prophet, and he says, here's what you've done. I mean, basically, here's the list. You committed adultery, then you committed murder. So, you know, like, you did this, and David's already pronounced judgment because Nathan comes, and uh, in the wisdom of God, he presents to him a case to the king and says, oh, there was a rich man who had everything, great big flocks and everything. And so he went, and there was a man who only had this sheep, one beautiful sheep. And this rich man went and took that beautiful sheep for himself. And David said, in the heat of judgment as king, he dies. Interesting. 
And Nathan says, hey, David, you're the man. And then he goes back to what David had done. Yet this same guy who then confesses, yes, I'm the man. His little baby, the one that was conceived within the adultery, is struck by God. And the baby's on its deathbed. David is praying to God, pleading. But God will not answer the way David wants, and the baby dies. David is so distraught in the pleading while the baby was still alive that they, they thought this guy was losing his mind. They thought this guy was actually had gone way over the edge. No, he was just doing this. And so then after the, he notices in the servants this dourness and he goes and he says, the baby's dead, isn't it? I said, yes, king. And in that moment, David leaves, he goes, he bathes, he gets himself fixed up again. He has them bring him food. Their, Their heads are twisted like, I don't get this. Just a moment ago, we thought you were absolutely disconnected from anything rational. And now we see you in when, when the baby is dead and gone. Here, now we see you doing this. And, and he said, while the baby lived, there was a chance God would be gracious. Oh, did he know the embrace of grace? But now that the baby's gone, he cannot come to me, but I will go to him confidence in his salvation absolute confidence did he know his list yes better than that he knew his God when you find yourself with performance based condemnation that's your condemnation Christian Thirdly, Jesus has already taken my punishment. First John 2, 2 says, when Jesus served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for God, not only ours, but the whole world's. He took the judgment, the punishment. So David understood he was in the embrace of grace and he deserved death just like he pronounced upon this this story that Nathan had brought and he had pronounced his judgment but he knew God was different than him and he knew that he was in the embrace of grace. He knew that the punishment for the sins had already would be placed, that God himself by his grace would take those. He understood grace. See, people that in those days were saved looking forward to the cross. People this day are saved looking back to the cross. Number four, Jesus understands my human weakness. (laughs) Hebrews 4.15 says he understands our weaknesses. I don't know about you, but that's one of the most encouraging phrases. You know where you feel that judgment from yourself and condemnation right now? Would you just kind of speak those words to yourself? He understands my weakness. He understands it.
He understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. But he understands our weaknesses. You can't actually become strong until you acknowledge your weakness. Peter's problem was that he thought he was strong and so he couldn't actually grow. He was in reverse and didn't even know it because his whole future was geared on his own strength. But now it changed and he found out that his whole weakness, how weak he really was, and he couldn't even stop from denying the Lord and he couldn't stand up to a waitress that said, you were a follower of his, right? No, 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 I don't know the guy. Jesus understood his weaknesses. And when he recognized his weaknesses, but that they were understood, he didn't have to hide them. He didn't have to try and be something that he wasn't. He could just enjoy the embrace of the grace of God. Number five, God doesn't hold on to grudges. <laughs> Psalm 103, 9 through 13, God will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He has not punished us for all our sins nor does he deal with us as we deserve. He has not punished us for all our sins nor does he deal with us as we deserve. Nor does he deal with us as we deserve. He is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Fear him, and that means respect him, love him, honor him. Jeremiah 3.22, come back to me, you faithful children, and I will forgive you for being unfaithful. Seems reversed. Come back to me, you faithful children, and I will forgive you for being unfaithful. What was the challenge? Faithfulness is found in your coming back. Don't stay away. Don't stay away from him. When our feet have wandered, when they've gone down the wrong paths too far, when we have lost our, our joy of our salvation, when we have stepped into miry clay again, when we have met, placed our lives in these disadvantaged positions, when we have allowed the deserts to creep in and take over what used to be a river flowing through us, come back. Come back to me. Thereby is your faithfulness is always in the return. What should I do when I sin? <laughs> return to God. Just return to God. I mean, return to God. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. Jeremiah fifteen nineteen. If you return, he will restore you. Your fellowship, your relationship's always there. But you want fellowship? With him, you want that to gain, be, 
have that passion coursing through your, 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 your life again, that sense of his presence, that peace, that love, and I'm going to use this word today, joy, refresh the joy. You want the joy of your salvation back? Do the David thing. You say, oh, I haven't done that list. Here's the thing you must understand. Any list that you want to hang with and not return from will keep you from the beautiful fellowship that you can have and return to. Christian, you need to return when you lose your way. Christian, you need to return to him in a beautiful fellowship, in a humility, and let him work in you again the connections and communion with him that, you, that, that brings about joy. Don't stay in the desert. You've got a living water that can course again through your life in great volume. Isaiah 1.8 says, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you clean as freshly fallen snow. I love that verse. I just love that verse. More than steak and lobster, I love that verse. No matter how deep the stain. I can take it out, he says. You say, oh, 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 the stains. Don't we hide stains? Don't hide the stain. Let him take it out. Make you clean as freshly fallen snow. Isaiah 54, 7 says, with great compassion, I will take you back. Not relationship is there. Prodigal son, father was always there. Father and son were always father, son. Always father and son. Always father and son. That never changed. This is actually a story about a Christian. This is actually a story about people that know God, that took their own direction and went their own way. And in that story, we find he returns not to, he, he's thinking he's done with sonship. He's thinking the only thing left to him is to be a servant in the house and not the son. And the father meets him on the road and he's not even hearing this boy. He's just so glad he's made the turn. And he's on his neck, hugging, crying. He's home. Christian, come home. Return. He'll never make you a servant. You are his son and daughter. And with great compassion, he will take you back. He'll put the ring on your finger, fresh sandals on your feet. He's going to put new clothes on you. He is going to restore you into absolute full sonship within that, that home. You've always been his son, but you broke fellowship. Return to fellowship. Can you imagine? Then he throws a party. It's an amazing moment. This party is happening. And they take the fatted calf, which would be really, really good because it's young and it's well marbled. 
takes a fatted calf, they cook it up, they're having this great big party. And as they're having the party, the eldest son, a son, he comes. He hears the noise, the music, the laughter. He hears the celebration. And he asks one of the servants, what's going on? Oh, your brother's back. Your dad killed a fatted calf. There's a big party going on. And the eldest son said, are you serious? He's back home? Fantastic. Where is he? I've missed him so much. Boy, would that have been a different story, eh? That's not what happened. It was, really? And he wouldn't even go in the house. The dad comes out. Dads get this kind of duty. The dad comes out. And he says, son, what are you doing? What's up? This son, he broke fellowship with you and I, dad. He walked away. Dad, this son of yours, he let us all down in this family. And you take the fatted calf, the one that would be for some other great purpose, a great party. And you get it put together for him. Our dad, like check into reality here. Remember, you gave him everything that, that was rightfully his and he's blown it. He has absolutely just destroyed what you have put in and given to him. Dad, check in with reality. Don't let him back in. The dad, he's hearing all this. And the dad just has a very simple response. Oh, son. How can we not have this party and celebration? Your brother, he was dead. But now, he's alive. Don't be a son or daughter and be dead. Be a son or a daughter and be alive. Don't be a son and be judgmental. But understand the grace by which you yourself live and thrive and flourish the rivers in your life and know that your list is there and you've walked through your deserts and you've had to have your own returns. Never look at how far somebody has had to return. Because it all happens the same. It takes many steps sometimes to get away from fellowship with God and with his family. It takes a lot of steps and decisions. But I will tell you this. It only takes one to return. One decision for everybody. It's not that you embrace grace. It's that grace has embraced you. This is a hard thing to our pride. Grace holds you, embraces you. 
You're always the son, always the daughter. Because you became that by grace, you're kept that by grace, and every time you need to return, it's because you've broken some fellowship. Catch it as early as possible. Make the return happen and get back to good fellowship with your Lord and with his family. Let God really bring life to you again. Be alive. Psalm 51, 12. We read it at the beginning, we read it at the end. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. If it's not there, it's not because you've lost salvation, it's because you have broken fellowship. Get right with the Father. Let the Spirit work in you. Celebrate the Son and his love. Re-engage again with the wonderful embrace and hug that God has always held you with and get out of the spiral of condemnation because we all have one if we want to go down it. But it's not his. Let's stand together. Father, as we bow our heads before you on this first Sunday after Easter, when we have celebrated all that you've done, but yet, Lord, there are times in our life that even though we have celebrated what you have done for us, we have broken some fellowship with you. And we've let it turn into a condemnation in our life which doesn't come from you. Father, maybe in many hearts right now, there'll just be a quick fellowship inventory that says, oh, It's not what it needs to be. It lacks heat. It lacks light. It lacks love. It lacks passion. It lacks obedience. It lacks beauty. But more than anything, it lacks joy. There is nothing that's going to bring joy to our hearts that will ever exceed the joy that comes because of His grace. feel the embrace again turn back come back we thank you for your goodness to us oh God Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail 
at peopleschurchgp.com.